Hebrews chapter 12, as we continue our time together looking at the goodness of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. Uh, You'll probably remember one of the biggest points of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better, right? Better than anything we find in this life, in this world, or anywhere else. And so the the big uh, exhortation that we're given is that we are to endure in him. That's what we've uh, been seeing lately in the book of Hebrews as we come back to it from time to time, that we're to endure in Jesus because he is better. This morning's text uh, brings up a very natural question for believers in Jesus, but a challenging question nonetheless. What about trials? Why do we have to endure through trials? Where is our sovereign God, our good Jesus, in the midst of those trials? Is he just unaware? Is he aloof? Is he he coldly watching us and, and refusing to do anything about all of our difficulties? Well, as we'll see, the answer is, is neither of those things. Uh, but let's hear it from the text itself. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses 3 through 11 will be our main text this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read all the way through verse 13 uh, to give us a little more context. <clears throat> hear now the word of the Lord. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. This is God's word. Let's pray once again. Lord God, we do thank you for your word, for the good gift that it is for us and to us. And we pray this morning that you would use it to draw us closer to you, and to make us more like you. We ask it in your son's name. Amen. So how do we deal with disappointments and trials 
in this life? It's a timely question, if ever there was one. I know I'm not the only one who's found this year disappointing, trying. Uh, And, uh, you know, this week we were especially reminded to be thankful for what we've been given. Anybody else find that just a little bit harder this year? Maybe. It wasn't just me. Because if I'm being honest, I certainly did. Uh, It's no secret. It's been a hard year, right? And it's okay for us to acknowledge that uh, and to grieve the lost hopes that we had for this year. But as I was forced into the exercise of considering all that I have to be thankful for, I noticed something else this week, too. When the things you hoped to be thankful for aren't there, when life is harder, and it takes more work just to think about all that we do have to be thankful for, the things that stick out, the things that remain, are more precious. And the very act of working to be thankful causes that gratitude for those things to run a little deeper. I don't know if anybody else noticed that. That's, that's not always what we experience, right? So certainly not uh, right in the moment. Uh, but the Lord's mercy to us is such that through trials and difficulties, he can and often does produce in us a more lasting peace and a more steady gratitude and trust in him so that the storms that would have completely sunk us years ago are for us now difficult but doable. Because as uh, we know that, that, that he is the one who can calm the wind and the waves with just a word, right? And, and we know that he is with us in the boat, most importantly, right? In fact, he's the captain, and that makes all the difference in the world. It's that truth that God uses our trials to strengthen us and to draw us closer to him so that he can guide and protect us. It's that truth that that this passage of scripture this morning is all about. It's what the text calls God's discipline. God's discipline. And the key takeaway this morning, how God is calling us to respond to his word today and in the future through this passage is he wants us to be thankful for his good, loving, faithful discipline. To thank God for his good, loving, and faithful discipline. And that may already sound nearly impossible for some of us. And that's understandable. I know that, that word discipline, it can be a scary word. Some of us have seen that word abused horribly. So every part of that takeaway is important, to be thankful to God for his good, loving, and faithful discipline. Let's break it down one or two bits at a time. First, God's discipline is good and loving. But how can discipline be loving? It's a question a lot of people are asking these days. Well, I mean, discipline on the one hand, protects us, right? And it it guides and it corrects us when we would go dangerously astray. That's certainly one way. I'll talk about that more in in just a minute. But if you're having trouble wrapping your head around how discipline can be good and loving, maybe start by considering first, not the discipline itself, uh, 
but the one we're talking about who does the disciplining. What does his love look like? Looks like sacrificing himself in order to benefit others. Love comes from the heart, right? So so what is God's heart towards sinners and strugglers? We don't have to wonder. He's told us, and he's uh, not only told us in his word, but he's shown us through Jesus, right? Hebrews chapter one says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus himself said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if if we want to know the Father's heart toward us, his children, we can look no further than Jesus. How does Jesus describe his heart? He's gentle and lowly of heart. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the Father's heart toward you. It's gentle and it's generous. God's God's not a ticking time bomb, right? He says, whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out, never. He invites us to come to him with our sin and our struggles so that he can give us rest. Does that sound like someone ready to discipline harshly? As I said, some of us have a hard time with passages like this because we've seen that word discipline used in really, really bad ways. We've seen the harm inflicted under the banner of the word discipline. But brothers and sisters, this is not the discipline of your God. It's important to distinguish between discipline and punishment. By God's grace, through faith in Christ Jesus, all of our punishment has been taken away. There is None left for us. None left for our sin at all. Discipline is not retributive, okay? It's it's not punishment. In fact, as our text reminds us in verses 6 and following, uh, good and healthy discipline is actually a sign uh, not that God is angry, but that he loves us. Or as as the author and Holocaust survivor, Elie Wiesel said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. That's the idea we see in verses 7 and Uh, 8. In the time that this text was originally written, the main role of disciplinarian in the family officially fell to the father of the family. And it was pretty well known at the time as well that many fathers only really bothered to discipline the sons who would inherit from them. Because, hey, they had a legacy to pass on. They had a name that they wanted to have remembered well, so they cared deeply to ensure that their heirs would live up to their high standards, that they wouldn't grow up lazy or foolish. That's why the text consistently refers to believers in Jesus as Sons, Not because this passage only applies to the males in the congregation, but because male or female, the point was that the Lord treats all his children as heirs because he has won for all of us an eternal inheritance. And his 
Discipline is a sign that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he doesn't want us to grow up unworthy, undisciplined, but he wants us to become more like him, to bear his name as his children and heirs. Heirs need more discipline, not less. So he loves us by caring enough to intervene in our lives for our good. Verse 10, to teach us what we need to know. He's generous and he's loving and he delights to give good gifts to his children, to his heirs. He's, he, he, he waits to give us good things, including the gift of discipline. And it is a gift. You know, we've, we've probably all come across some people in our lives uh, who maybe could have stood to be told no more often as children. Would have made things more pleasant for them, more pleasant for us. Honestly, probably for most anyone they come into contact with. To withhold such instruction is to set your children up for a lifetime of disappointment, isn't it? And if we don't want that for our children, how much less do you think our perfect Heavenly Father wants that for us? So he disciplines us in love. It is gracious of him to keep us from a lack of discipline, which would be harmful for us. It would be bad for us. Now, it's true that, as verse 11 reminds us, discipline is rarely pleasant in the moment. But that's not because it's meant to be punitive. It's because our, our sinful and undisciplined hearts want what's bad for them. Now, usually, we don't know it's bad. Uh, and, and in the moment, you know, all we know is we just don't get what we want. Right? We're like the two-year-old who throws a tantrum because her parents won't let her eat the cigarette butts she found on the beach. With no context, you can just tell from her tears and protestations that a great injustice has been done to her by taking the used cigarettes away. And she really, truly feels that. It is painful for her in that moment that the buried treasure she found has been stolen. But as a parent, or as an adult, or even as an older child, we can see what our two-year-old can't see in the moment, right? That what she wants is dangerous. And if we love her, we have to keep it from her, right? That's the kind of discipline our Father in Heaven exercises for us. Sometimes we want something that isn't part of God's perfect plan for us, which makes it actually bad for us. Because what God plans is good, the only true good. And in love, sometimes he keeps us from those things that we want that are actually bad. I'm sure many of us could give specific examples of times we wanted something that the Lord kept from us, only to learn later that God had a much better plan than what we could see. God is good all the time, whether we feel it or not. He is a father who loves his children, who loves you, and he hates the sin that harms us, just as a parent hates a disease that harms their child. And, and parents will fight for their children, won't we? Right, we will attack that disease in order to heal the child. Sometimes the treatment is unpleasant, but it's a whole lot better than the alternative. 
and from an all-knowing, perfectly loving Father, even the treatment itself is good. It is good. Physical therapy can be painful too, can't it? You ever been to physical therapy? You know what I'm talking about? But its purpose is to heal, right? To, to strengthen muscles or to stretch ligaments so that they can do what they need to do because they've been made weak or less functional for one reason or another. That's what sin does to our spiritual muscles. And that's why verses 12 through 13 talk about strengthening weak knees and making straight paths for our feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. You get the idea, right? God's discipline of us is an act of fatherly love and goodness to us. It's an expression of his heart of care for us, to protect us, to help us, to strengthen us. But it's also an act of goodness and faithfulness. Verses 10 through 11 really bring this home. Now, starting in verse 9 can be hard for some to resonate with. Some some of us, uh, by God's grace, can really see a direct line to the truth of earthly parents who disciplined us and we respected them, and therefore how much greater God's discipline must be. And that's a great blessing that we ought to thank the Lord for. Others have a much harder time with seeing that parallel. But in verse 10, everyone can see the goodness of God. Because though our earthly parents disciplined us as it seemed best to them, God actually disciplines us for our good. Even the best parents have mixed motives at times. And some people grow up with parents who do little to no disciplining at all, perhaps who who, uh, aren't even around. But whatever the shortcomings in our earthly parents' decisions about parenting, Our Father in heaven shares none of them, none of those shortcomings. He is perfect and good, which is an important combination, right? He's not just technically correct, but austere. He's good, and he works all things for our good. So when he does what seems best to him, He who is good, who is goodness itself, that is, who defines what goodness is, so that our understanding of goodness is based on how much something matches up with God's character, which is pure, true goodness itself. We only know what's truly good to the extent that we know him. When he works for our good, he's just acting consistently with his eternal, unchanging essence. He's not uh, begrudging or resentful. He's joyful to do his own will, which is our good. It's his will to do good because he is good. That's just another reminder of the kind of fatherly love he has for us uh, and and, uh, that he shows to us. His discipline is good because it comes from him, and he's good. His discipline is done in love because he is love. True and pure, untainted, perfect, never sullied, redeeming love. So, what is our good? 
that he works for us in our trials. What is that, that great good that we can be thankful for? Well, that's the end of verse 10. He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. That we may grow more like him, more good, more loving, more just and compassionate and merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, more gentle and lowly of heart, more like Jesus. God is good. And his good for us is to become more like him. And, and trials tend to be how he accomplishes this good most perfectly. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. Certainly no better way to get our attention, is there? Now, it's important to affirm that not everything bad in our lives is sent by God as discipline. All right? God is not the author of sin. And when we're sinned against, that's not God disciplining us. That's evil. That's sin. Okay? It's also important to remember that God can and does use everything in our lives for good. Romans 8.28. That he can even redeem evil so that it becomes for us something that draws us closer to him. Something that isn't only. He doesn't call evil good, but his love is strong enough to overcome evil, to take what was intended for evil and use it to work good, to strengthen and heal us so that we recover stronger, and even to work something completely unexpected alongside of, because of, or even through the sin that was meant to harm. Would he wish evil on us? Absolutely not. He's good. Would he want someone to sin against us so that he could use it for good? No, of course not. But will sin stop him from loving us and accomplishing his good plans for us? Not a chance. Not a chance. What a difference to know in times of trial, trouble, tribulation, and sorrow that our Father is with us, that our Father loves us, and that our Father not only can, but is redeeming our trials, using them to make something better in us. So the only question that remains then is how will we respond to God's good loving, and faithful discipline. Which brings us to the third part of that takeaway, being thankful for God's good, loving, faithful discipline. Being thankful. Verse 11 says, and we can affirm, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. And it's hard to be thankful for something that hurts. But verse 5, quoting from Proverbs 3, which is an amazing chapter, tells us, not to regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. It's like God knew what our first responses always are. <laughs> it's like he knew our hearts. Go figure. Do you see yourself 
in the Stoic, who says, well, trials are inevitable. We can't avoid them. That doesn't mean we have to like them. We just have to get through them. Try not to focus so much on the bad stuff, on the hard stuff. We just have to buckle down and endure by pure grit, if necessary, until it's over. If that's your tendency, God says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't treat your trials as purposeless, but pause and reflect in the midst of them. What could God be teaching me through this trial? How could he be drawing me closer to him, showing me more of his goodness so that I can reflect it better? Life isn't just about holding on for sunnier days. It's also about looking for what God is doing in the midst of the storm, because he's there too. Don't regard his discipline lightly. It's a gift of God. Open it. Use it. Thank him for it. Or maybe you're more of the emotional responder. Whether that emotion is anger, why? Self-pity, why me? Hopeless despondency, God, why? Or anything else. All of our why questions, God also responds by telling us, nor be weary when reproved by him. Not that it's wrong to ask the question, but we can also know that God's discipline, even in our trials, it's not all bad. Because it's not out of his hand. He is the one working it. There's more that we can't see in the moment. Look for it. It's easy to be joyful when God is obviously blessing us. It's easy to be sullen and resentful when God's blessing comes in the form of trials. But remember, trials aren't a form of God's neglect. They're a sign of his fatherly involvement in our lives. Don't be weary, but ask for his strength. Lean into him for what you need in the midst of trials. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And he'll use even this to strengthen you and make you more like him. Don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be wearied by him when reproved by him. Because God is training us with discipline. Physical training, uh, it's it's not particularly pleasant at the time either, is it? But without it, an athlete will never be able to perform at a higher level. Nobody likes training, but it's it's essential for getting better. And without spiritual training, we don't grow. And so we don't receive the lasting blessings that come with growth in our relationship with God. Now, thankfully, he's a good coach. (laughs) He doesn't neglect our training. That's what the end of verse 11 says. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, interestingly, it doesn't say to everyone alike, right? But to those who have been trained by it. We can disregard our earthly parents' discipline, can't we? We can just, you know, plug up our ears, fight back against it, resent them for being more strict than our friends' parents are or were. We can argue with our parents about how they're wrong and we're right and they should listen to us. 
By God's grace, when that happens, faithful parental discipline still leaves its mark. It still helps. Uh, But wouldn't it go so much better for everyone? Wouldn't the lesson be learned easier, more pleasantly, and probably quicker if we as children tried to understand what our parents were trying to teach us generally? We can do the same thing with God, refusing to be trained by his discipline, just resenting it and complaining about it, being mad at him for the sorry lot that he's given us. God can still patiently work faithfully in our lives through his providential discipline, but wouldn't it be better for everyone if when life didn't go how we wanted it to, which is a lot of the time, instead of complaining, we tried to seek God in our discomfort, tried to ask what he might want us to learn through the discomfort, trusted that he was still good, that he is still in control, uh, so, so we can maybe just relax our shoulders a bit and breathe and let him be God. So when the storms come, when it takes work to come up with what we're thankful for, let us not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wearied by it, but seek him and his discipline in the midst of trials. He loves us as sons and daughters. He is good and he faithfully works to make us more like himself. So let's be trained by him and be thankful for God's good, loving, and faithful discipline. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you, you're so good to us. We don't deserve your kindness and your faithfulness. We are quick to complain about your good providence, but our sin doesn't stop your determination and your ability to work good in our lives, to uh, discipline us in love. Thank you for your perfect love and discipline. Lord, help us to seek you in our trials for grace, for strength, for instruction, for comfort and companionship, for understanding, for encouragement, for love. And use our trials to show us more of your goodness, to make us more like you, and to make us even more grateful for your good providence in all things. We ask it for your glory and our good. Amen.